welcome to the 13th episode of the Tough Take Podcast. I'm Luca DeLosta. And I'm Zach Green. In this episode, we'll be going over the NBA playoffs right now, the NHL playoffs, what field hockey is and how it's played, the U.S. women's national team finally receiving equal pay as of, re- as of lately, the Reds vs. Pirates no-hitter loss, which was a bizarre one, an interesting fact, and some games to look forward to. Let's get right into it. And let's start with the NBA playoffs, which have been wild so far and show no signs of stopping. We are now in the conference finals with the Western Conference Final and Eastern Conference Finals, Miami, Boston, Dallas versus Golden State. Why don't we get into the Golden State series? I first want to bring up Luka Doncic. Luka, he is playing out of this world. Give me his stats right now. Well, I'll give you the stats for his series versus the Suns. He was had 32 and a half points per game, played both sides of the ball well, recording three, three, four, and two steals in the last four games. And he's just been shooting the ball, even from the logo a couple times. Great player, as you said, and can't wait to see him more. And as game two just happened last night, the Mavs are up about 20 at one point, and that lead came crumbling down. Thanks to Steph Curry in the fourth quarter, Jordan Poole played really nicely. Clay Thompson had somewhere around 15. And then Kevon Looney really doing what he needs to do this entire series is exploit this Dallas Mavericks team in the paint, which they struggle. And he had 21 and I think 12 rebounds. I think it was like 13 or 14, but yeah. He had himself a game, and the Warriors are doing a very good job of moving the ball getting this Mavs team defensively on their heels and looking for an open cutting player. And what we've seen all throughout the playoffs, the Warriors last night, Curry was on the bench for six or seven minutes, and that run by the Warriors was led by Jordan Poole. So, I mean, you you cannot look at this Warriors bench and tell me there's a weakness. It might be a little bit of height, but they can shoot, and they have players like, like Otto Porter – he was 4 for 4 and had 11 points, which is pretty good off the bench. And this Warriors team, um, a big upside for them is, yes, they have no paint presence. They are a shorter team, but they have so much firepower on offense that once they get on a run, it's so hard to stop them. You got Clay Thompson who can shoot the ball, Steph Curry who can shoot the ball, Andrew Wiggins who can shoot the ball, Jordan Poole who can shoot the ball, and they run a 5-out, fine cutters, and they score easily at the paint. What I really want to see is Spencer Dinwiddie in Game 3 play better. He had 17 in Game 1 and just 4 last night in Game 2. So if we can get back to that 15-16 point mark, that'll really help Luka and the starters get this win. And there was a point where the Mavericks themselves, it seemed like everybody was hitting shots. Brunson, who doesn't hit many threes, was hitting threes. Uh, Luka was hitting threes. I think it was Finney Smith also was hitting. Everybody was hitting threes, and that's when they extended their lead, but the Warriors obviously clawed back. All right, let's move down to Miami and TD Garden in Boston and talk about this Boston and Heat series. It's a 1-1 series so far. Both games have been good wins for their respective teams. Luca, let's talk about the lower seed, the Boston Celtics. 
Yes, they're a lower seed, but it's a 1-2, so it's kind of a toss-up. Boston, obviously, very good, especially going back to TD Garden. Not surprised if they take both. But something I noticed was in both games, the team that made a end-of-first-quarter run to tie it and take the lead has won the game. In Game 1, the Heat made a big run towards the end of the first quarter, tied it up, and eventually took the lead. Game 2, Boston made a massive run and took the lead. So I really want to talk about is Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, we could talk about Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. They're all really good. But Peyton Pritchard, he isn't the most consistent, but when he plays, he can really score. He had 18 points, but he shot 411 from three. But what I really liked was he can get the crowd going, and on the runs, when they're in a run, he will shoot, and he, I think, has three threes or two threes in a row at one point in a big run, which really helped Boston versus um, Milwaukee, so I hope he can do that back in Boston. And I love his swagger. Like, he shoots four for 11 from three, but he does not stop shooting. He doesn't care. He has unstoppable confidence. And then he said after he made some, this is my stuff. I mean, that he's just a really good guy, and I like, I like seeing him play. Let's talk about Miami. How do you feel about Jimmy Butler right now? Jimmy Butler is arguably the most important player in this playoff so far. I mean, you look at the games where he's dropping 40. He's I think he's had three games dropping 40-plus. And without that, the, the Heat would be losing. So arguably most valuable player of this playoff so far. How do you think the sixth man of the year can really play a role? Tyler Hero, he can play a role in some games. Like his best game was, I think, 18 points in game one. But he's, he's not showing consistency this in the playoffs. And it's been shown that he has been inconsistent in the playoffs past years as well. So if we can get that consistency up, I think that would be huge to get a little off Jimmy Butler. Let's take it down to the NHL playoffs with the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Florida Panthers. I mean, Tampa Bay is just really taking control of the series. Panthers only scored one goal in each of the games. And I was thinking, when they played the Capitals in round one, they only scored one goal in one game. But I think that also has to do with Andre Vasilevsky being much more consistent than the Capitals goaltenders. But I also want to talk about the Panthers are having more trouble because I think of the defense of Tampa Bay is much better. And like we said, round one, Caps didn't have Tom Wilson. So the Panthers kind of had like an easy, easy offensive scheme there to charge it up. But what do you think? Tampa Bay, their experience is showing. They are back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, going for a third. Great coach. And as you said, their defense and netminder and Vasilevsky, it's, it's very solid. And then they have very firepower offense. Stamkos, Kucherov, Palat, Maroon. Like they just have so much. And the Panthers' inexperience is really showing. And then another player on the Lightning that I've been liking to watch, Ross Colton. He had five, or, I think he has five or six goals this playoffs. But what the big thing about him, he scored with three point seconds left on the clock, and that's due to I forget who it was, but a Panthers player dropped to help on the board, which left Colton and Bobrovsky on a one on one, where Colton just went top shelf and sealed the deal, which gave Tampa Bay a lucky escape of OT. So they took. Game 2-1. Two, two, it goes back to Tampa Bay, same state, for Game 3. 
though, and it's weird because they have, I think, three days. They don't play tonight. They should be playing tonight, but they play tomorrow, but they have the shortest commute out of any team, so it's kind of weird. But let's shift over to one of the series that I think is the best in Carolina and New York, two teams that have played phenomenally at home. Let's talk about the first game. What were your thoughts from that? The first game, I think... Obviously, it was close. The Rangers held the lead until the third period. Then the Hurricanes came down, scored. And Sebastian Ajo scored with a couple minutes left. I mean, he's a 20-plus goal scorer of the season. Very good player. And then the OT goal was very unlucky. Carolina just chucked the puck at the net, tipped off Lindgren's stick, and went in. And so you, you suffer an OT there. You go down one nothing, And then you're in Pincy Arena where, Cam- where Carolina has not lost in the playoffs. But here's the thing. The Rangers aren't shy to coming back from deficits. I mean, they just came back from 3-1 versus the Pens. I mean, obviously the Hurricanes are significantly better than the Hur- than the Penguins. But, I mean, that comeback will in them. I think I really want to see Zibanejad get going. I want to see Shesterkin. He is playing great. He's only allowed four goals in two games. But I need Rangers to really step up. And... and- Zabinijad needs help. Yes, Chris Kreider is a 50-plus goal scorer this season, needs to put one in the back of the net, get his confidence going. Panarin, they just need more offense, and they'll be fine, I think. They'll win at least one of the ones in the Garden. All right, let's go down to St. Louis, where we have the Colorado Avalanche versus St. Louis Blues. Game one, Colorado took a 3-2 in overtime. In game two, St. Louis came back and responded, winning 4-1. St. Louis is a sleeper team, in my opinion. They have experience. They have very good goaltending in Bennington and Tuso, I think is the other defender's name. But Colorado, the ability for them to take one in Colorado is impressive enough. Going back home in a series of 1-1, I would not be surprised to see this series go 7. Talk about Jordan Bennington again. Luca, he, had, he was faced with 51 shots in Game 1 with a 9-4-4 save percentage. He is a really good goaltender. He won them a cup before. I think the St. Louis could go back again. And I also like this one-two punch. Ryan O'Reilly and your favorite on the Blues, Jordan Cairo. They have 11 combined goals in the postseason. And this is kind of what you saw from Ryan O'Reilly in the run in 2019 when they won. Is He, he won the Conn Smythe, which was most valuable of the playoffs. And he's showing it again right now. So... There's definitely potential, but they would have to be a very active, very high-pressuring Colorado team. And don't sleep on David Perron. He has six goals this postseason. And then for the Avalanche, Gabriel Landerskog leading the way with Nathan McKinnon. They have nine combined goals. Well, let's move down to or up to the Battle of Alberta in a playoff series. The Edmonton Oilers facing the Calgary Flames. Game one was a thriller, 9-6. Game two, toned it down, but still up there in energy with a 5-3 series split 1-1. And the 9-6, I mean, in the second period, the Oilers came back, and they were tied, and then the Calgary just went up again, and they didn't stop. So the Flames have a ton of talent and superpower, but a bunch of pucks in the back of the net as they come out the gates quickly, as they scored two in the first minute in game one, and I think the next scored one— Scored two in, within five minutes yesterday. Yeah, I mean, they they can score fast and quick and really put the Oilers down. But the Oilers are the exact opposite. They come out slow, they go down a couple goals, but they grit and grind their ways 
their way back into the game. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, that energy from Evander Kane. They have a good team, and it's just will Mike Smith keep his confidence? If he can keep his confidence in that, I think that there will be a, a strong chance that they could win the series. All right, let's take it down to another type of hockey, field hockey. This was suggested to us, and I think it's great that we can look at it. What is what is field hockey? So field hockey is a game where two teams come together on a field and use either wooden or composite sticks to try to drive a ball into a 7-foot by 12-foot goal. The winner is determined by the team who scores the most goals after two 35-minute halves. What are the differences between field hockey and ice hockey? Well, field hockey is played on a grass or turf field instead of ice. It also can be played on a material like a tennis court, which I was watching in 2018, USA versus England World Cup match, which was fun to watch. And field hockey is also played in a very bigger stadium. It's it's outside, and some of the penalties I saw, it's very knit-knacky. So if you hit somebody on the shoe in field hockey, if you swing and it's in their offensive circle near the goal, it's called a corner. So what that is, so 10 people will be on one team besides the goaltender. 10 people will be around this ring at the offensive. One person from the goal line will hit it in, and then they will all run in. And then the funny part about this, four people from the defensive team are allowed in the net, which they run out and try to stop him. So it's a pretty cool thing. It can be very strategic, and you can score easily off of it. It's a very interesting sport, and you're teaching me a little as we speak right now. But it's also very popular in the area we have. Our high school has a lot of people uh, on the girls' side who participate in field hockey. It's a very fun sport to watch. It's kind of like soccer where there's a lot of just passing. And it's a very fast. When they blow the whistle, the offense, the team that gets the ball, just gets the ball from there and goes. They don't have to pass it in or anything. So it's a very fast-moving game, and it's really fun to watch. And for subs, people just run in and out, kind of like hockey. So it's on the fly. Yeah, it's continuous. And it's kind of a intimidating sport when you think of it in person because those sticks are thick, and they're pure wood. I mean, you wear shin guards, and that's about it, unless you're the goalie. All right, let's talk about the U.S. women's national team finally receiving equal pay as the men's side. And this is, it's great. It's great to see, and it's something that has been long, long overdue. The women's national team, for much of time, has been, at least recent history, been better than the U.S. men's national team. They've gone to more World Cups. They've won more World Cups. And I, it, the biggest problem, I think, in my eyes was publicity. Were, were they able to bring in enough money? And now that they have proven that they can get equal pay, it, the next step is just getting them that equal publicity, that equal live showing on TV. I totally agree. All right, let's move into the bizarre baseball game. Reds versus Pirates, no hit or loss. And this might stem from the fact that I was in Cincinnati the day this happened. So it might have something a little bit to do with it. I don't know. But what a wild scenario. So we both know a no-hitter in baseball is when you pitch and the team does not get any hits. They might hit the ball, a pop-up, but it could be out. But no one is on base after a hit. So the score came off a fielder's choice to second where the man who caught it 
chose to get the batter out or the runner out. He chose the batter, so that caused the run. Both teams aren't the best, but no-hitters are very rare in baseball itself. So the fact that when I saw this notification that said no-hitter by the Reds but still find the loss, I was stunned. And it's such an odd scenario that I don't know if we will ever see again. I really want for the Reds for, to get Jonathan India going. He was the rookie of the year last year, so I'm just, I was just surprised no one scored for the Reds after getting a no-hitter. That is shocking. And then in the interesting fact, the 1912 Olympics was the time was the last time that gold medals were solid gold. Since then, they've been silver silver with gold painting plating. But it's it's kind of strange. I would have never guessed that because they look they look gold, and I I'm kind of curious to why that is. Why haven't they been able to actually get a solid gold medal in since 1912 over a hundred years ago? I think the Olympic National Committee has the money for it. I just don't know why. And for the games of the week, since now we're early into series for hockey, basketball, not baseball yet, but I'm really liking the Celtics series. Both games have been great wins for the respective teams, like we mentioned. And especially, I like watching Deuce Tatum, Jason Tatum's son. He's really funny. And I think I've seen clips of him in the locker room really energizing the team, so... I like the Celtics team a lot. Grant Williams is still waiting for a high five from Deuce Tatum in that locker room. He's still there with his hand out. But my game of the week will be games three and four of Carolina Hurricanes versus New York Rangers in the NHL series. Will the Hurricanes finally be able to convert their home ice dominance to the road? Both teams have great fans that travel very well and show out night in and night out but now that i'm speaking on fans i just want to hit carolina to prevent new york fans from traveling down to carolina limited their ticket sales to north carolina southern virginia and the south carolina areas i want to talk about that just thinking of that that's what the titans did versus the Bengals in the playoff game and look what happened to the titans so i hope carolina doesn't follow that curse I mean, they didn't. They won both games, but it's just strange that teams are, it seems like a more common thing teams are doing because fans are starting to be able to travel so well. From the Tough Take Podcast, that is Zach Green, Luca DeLosta. Thank you for listening.